Father, we ask that as we open up your word, that you would now open up our hearts and our minds and that you'd make us attentive to your voice. God, we remember in this time that all that we have comes to us as a gift from your hand. And God, we want to use the time you have given us, the life you have given us, the resource, the passions, the gifts you have given us. We want to use them for your glory and for the good of our neighbors. And so, God, we pray that you would awaken us to that mission again today and that you would inspire us and encourage us so that you could be glorified by how we live for you in this world. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. So this week, I was sitting in my office, and I got a phone call from my 11-year-old daughter, Eve. And she said, Daddy, Daddy, I want to talk to you about something. And she said, I, 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 she, you know, there was something going on inside of her. She was, you know, something was stirring inside of her. And she said, Daddy, I really want, I, I want to do something to help people who are in need. And she said, so can, can we talk about that? And so we began talking a little bit about that. And uh, she zeroed in on the need of children in Los Angeles who are without adequate and permanent housing. And there's about 17,000 kids in Los Angeles Unified School District right now who do not have permanent housing. And so we were talking about that, and that got us on the phone with uh, Tim Peters, who's a part of the rescue mission. And we were just kind of talking about what, you know, imagining together what uh, Eve could do in order to do something to meet this incredible need in our world. And then in the course of the conversation, Eve said this to me. She said, I want to do this myself because I want people to know that you don't have to be an adult to do good to help other people. You can actually be young and make a difference in this world. And I heard that and I thought, you know, I think Jesus would agree with that. You know, when you look at the kind of people that Jesus drew around himself, you know, Jesus did not go out throughout the Roman Empire and look for the creme de la creme. He did not look for the most well-educated or the elite in Rome. Uh, Jesus did not look for the aged Pharisees or the well-trained priests in Jerusalem. No, Jesus gathered around himself for the nucleus of people that would ultimately change the world with the good news of Jesus. The people who Jesus drew around himself were young adults from a, a, a collection of small fishing villages from a backwards part of the Roman Empire. And these were the people that Jesus said, this is going to be my nucleus that I am going to use to turn this world upside down. From the very beginning, Jesus was communicating to us that he does not need great ability, he does not need education, he does not need uh, a lot of years of experience in order to be useful for his kingdom. Jesus needs availability. He needs people who are willing to lay down their lives and to open up their hands and say, Jesus, I, I, I may not have all of the best abilities, but here I am. I am offering myself to you to be used by you for your purposes in this world. And Jesus can take that attitude and that heart, and he can do tremendous, extraordinary things with that. In fact, uh, very often it is those who have great abilities, those who have, you know, the pedigrees and the education and all of that, that oftentimes find themselves trusting not in God, but in their own abilities. 
And that's the one thing God cannot use are people that trust in their own abilities. God wants to gather around himself a group of people who will trust not in their own abilities, but who will trust in God's power and God's ability. And it is that kind of person that God is able to take and use and do great things in this world. And so what we're going to be talking today about is that very truth. And so I want to look with you together at a story that really illustrates for us this reality that Jesus can take ordinary stuff and ordinary people and do miraculous and extraordinary things with it. Now, this is part of a series that we began last week entitled A Meaningful Life. And the premise of our series is that God is at work in this world. That the universe that we inhabit, it is not simply, as Bertrand Russell once quipped, uh, the accidental collocation of atoms. We do not inhabit a universe that is chaotic and meaningless and purposeless. We inhabit a reality that has its origin in God who is both creator and redeemer of everything. The world that we inhabit was brought into being by the creative power and the love of God. And though our world right now, because of human sin and rebellion, finds itself enslaved to darkness and stuck in patterns of sin and broken and fractured, God has not given up on this world. God is on mission in this world he created, and God is out to bring about the healing of everything that is broken in the world. Jesus put it like this. He spoke in Matthew 19 about the regeneration or the renewal of everything. In other words, ultimately, God who birthed into being all things is ultimately out to bring reconciliation and healing to everything that's fractured and wrong in this world. Uh, Peter spoke in Acts 3 about the restoration of everything. Everything that's kind of a mess right now, God is out to restore and heal. And then St. Paul spoke about the reconciliation of everything through Jesus. And Jesus taught us to pray that God's kingdom, his healing will for creation, his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And the primal act of God to bring about this project to heal and reconcile everything is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, God was acting in this world to begin this plan to bring reconciliation and healing to everything. The final act, the culmination of this plan is when Jesus comes again and he establishes his kingdom on earth, even as it is in heaven, he ultimately, by his own power and grace, will renew and restore everything. And in between the cross and resurrection of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, when he ultimately will bring healing to everything, God is forming around himself a community of people who will bear witness to the good news of God's kingdom in this world here and now and who will participate with him in this kingdom project. In other words, God is calling us to partner with him 
to bring freedom to addicted people and love to self-loathing people and forgiveness to guilty people and hope to the despairing and comfort and peace to the anxious and justice to those trapped in oppression and, 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 and comfort to the lonely and, and housing to the homeless and purpose to those who are bored and good news to those who are spiritually poor. We have been invited in to a life of meaning and purpose to participate with God in this program in big ways and in little ways. And you know, Jesus taught us that paradoxical truth that genuine life, the good life, a life of meaning and joy and purpose, that that the pathway into that kind of life is not a a path that is marked, you know, you you can't get into the good life uh, through... uh, you know, vacations and more purchases and more entertainment and, 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 you know, more TikTok and YouTube videos. Like, all of that doesn't get you into the good life. The way into the good life, according to Jesus, is by giving your life away. Jesus said the way you find your life is to lose it for my sake and for the gospel's sake. In other words, when you give your life away, in sacrificial and self-giving ways for the sake of others so that they can know God's love in practical and tangible ways, Jesus says it is there that you discover the meaningful life. Now, of course, there is a lot in our way of experiencing this kind of meaningful life because that kind of sacrificial, self-giving way of life runs against the grain of our self-centered natures. Is anybody else in the house selfish? Can I get a witness? In the back, yes. On the side, I see you all over. But, but you know, I, I like my comforts, nice vacations, and craft pizza, and unbothered naps, and extended time for reading books. And, you know, of course, our constant exposure to newsfeed habituates us into seeing crazy needs all over the world that we feel no impulse to do anything about. And, of course, many of us just feel like, you know, we're distracted, we're busy, you know, um, with uh, Netflix and email and who has time for other people. And then some of us are just insecure and we feel like, what do I have to offer anyway? And so we've been talking together in this series about how we can discover the role that God wants us to play in this kingdom project so that we can discover a meaningful life. And what I want you to see today is that God can take who you are today and what you have today And you can offer it up to him and God can use that and he can multiply it and he can use it in order to bless the world around us. And we're going to see that from this this beautiful, this very familiar, but this very beautiful and compelling story uh, of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14. And it begins like this in verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. It says, now, when Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard what? Well, the context is important. In the paragraph previous to this, uh, what, what Jesus heard about was the grisly death of his cousin and partner and colleague in ministry, John the Baptist. It's a horrible story. Uh, it goes like this. Uh, Herod... Antipas, who was the governor of the northern region up there in Galilee, 
was married to a woman named Herodias. Herodias, it turns out, uh, had formerly been Herod's brother's wife. And so they had gotten involved in some kind of illicit affair, and she left her husband, Philip, Herod's brother, and then married Herod. It sounds weird, right? Uh, but we see this stuff happening in the news. And, um, but so, so John the Baptist, who was not afraid to call people out, went about the region preaching all the time against Herod and his, his awful act of infidelity and was calling him out. And, and Herodias, Herod's wife, was just getting totally furious against John the Baptist. And so she had Herod arrest John, had him put in prison. And one day for Herod's birthday, he throws this big party. It's like a big frat party. There's lots of drinking and uh, there's all kinds of illicit, uh, you know, ungodly uh, stuff that you don't want to talk about in church. And then, um, and then they invite Herodias's daughter, uh, Herod's stepdaughter, to come and do a dance before this drunken group of uh, politicians. And they're watching this thing take place, and they're all excited by it. And then at the end, uh, Herod, in front of everyone, uh, says to her, hey, uh, anything you want, up to half my kingdom, I will give you. And he's probably thinking she's going to ask for maybe a car or maybe some cash or something like that. But instead, she walks out of the room, and she goes and asks her mother. Her mother says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She goes in and asks her, father, her, her stepfather, Herod, for the head of John the Baptist. He says, because he said it in front of everybody, he's got to follow through. He's like, fine. And he goes out, has his head chopped off, and sets it to them, in front of them on a platter. And it's when Jesus heard about this, heard about this grisly, awful act against John, that Jesus withdraws, and it says he went to a desolate place to be by himself. And I love it, the place he chooses to go when he wants to get away and be by himself with his disciples is he goes out to the sea, and he goes out on a boat. It says again, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. This reminded me as I was reading this, of one of my favorite opening paragraphs in all of uh, Western literature from Moby Dick. I think I just wanted to show this image on the screen, so. But I'm going to read you this paragraph because it reminds me of this text. Some of you might know this. Call me Ishmael. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me on shore, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. It is a way I have of driving off the spleen and regulating the circulation. Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, and especially whenever my hypos, whatever those are, get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street and methodically knocking people's hats off, then I account it high time to get to sea as soon as I can. This is my substitute for pistol and ball. With a philosophical flourish, Cato throws himself upon the sword. I quietly take to the ship and go to sea." Well, here in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus quietly takes to the ship and he goes to sea, which by the way, that's what I like to do when I'm feeling low and sad, don't you? 
except for I like to get on a surfboard, not on a boat. So Jesus, he gets on a boat and he goes out. It's where you would go to get away in that region of the world. And uh, look what it says next. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So here Jesus is trying to get away and be by himself. The crowds here, and a rumor spreads about that Jesus is just out there on the lake or the Sea of Galilee, and, and they start spreading this. And you, all of a sudden, you could see from the boat back on land, and these crowds of people are starting to congregate together. And first there's dozens, and then there's hundreds, and then there's thousands, and they're following around, waiting for Jesus to come back to land. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he was incredibly frustrated with them because he just wanted to get away. You know, can't you just leave me alone, says Jesus. I, I, need, some, I need some alone time. I need some me time. You know, no, look what it says. And when he went to shore, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. This is really the starting place of all legitimate ministry and service in the kingdom of God. It is birthed in compassion of Jesus. Jesus compassionate for genuine needs all around him. Jesus looks out at the crowds and they're lost and they're guilty and they're addicted and they're enslaved and they're fearful and they're anxious and they're confused and Jesus' heart goes out to them. And, and, and look what it says, he, he he healed their sick. Another gospel tells us that he spent time teaching them. And still another that he was casting out demons. And so here Jesus is spending now the whole day with this crowd of people, thousands of them, people hanging on his every word and going to him for prayer. And he's laying hands on them and he's casting out demons and people are getting healed and all kinds of incredible ministry is happening all day long. But then the day wears on, and look what it says next. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, look, Jesus, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy some food for themselves. And we get the idea that maybe the disciples themselves were getting a little bit worn out. Maybe they themselves were getting a little bit hungry. It appears from the text that they had forgotten to bring food for this little excursion. They weren't expecting an all-day seminar, and yet here they are. And so it goes on all day long, and they're like, Jesus, let's just pause this thing. Let's take a lunch break, dinner break. Let's let them go and find some food. So they say, Jesus, can we just send the crowds away? So the disciples ask something of Jesus, and then Jesus looks at them and now asks something of the disciples. It's interesting. So just notice something really quick. The disciples are, are seeing a very real need around them. People are tired and they're hungry. He knows that they, the, the, the disciples see that there's legitimate felt needs that need to be met. And so the disciples are like us. You know, sometimes you can look around and you can see problems, right? Problems happening around you in society, uh, problems in the church, problems in your household, uh, problems with your friends. And you can notice what's going, you can think, man, something needs to be done with this problem. And the disciples say, look, Jesus, we've got a problem. People are hungry. Something must be done. Jesus can, Jesus, can you do something? Can you send them away and have them go get dinner? 
And notice what Jesus does. After they ask Jesus to do something, Jesus then turns to disciples and asks them to do something. And look what he asks them to do. He says, no, verse 16, they don't need to go away. (laughs) You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. This is Christianity, or this is Christian ministry in its very essence. You see a need out there, and God says to you, now you do something to meet that need. You see under-resourced kids at Gidley Elementary School, you give them mentoring and training. You see, you know, thousands of kids in the foster care system, you open up your home and welcome them in. You know, you see people on the other side of the world starving to death. You lower your standard of living and give more of your resources to them. You see unreached people groups that need the gospel. You, you go yourself. You send people to, to preach the gospel. Jesus says you give them something to eat. But I want you to see Jesus not only invites them to do something about the problem, Jesus invites them to do the impossible. He says, you give them something to eat. And they, they the, the, you know, the, the weirdness of what Jesus is asking is not lost on them. They're like, Jesus, there's thousands of people. We don't have, we don't have what it takes. Jesus, you know, we, we don't have enough to feed ourselves. Jesus, I got problems. Jesus, I got my own issues. Jesus, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the resources. I, we, we, Jesus, I, Jesus, nevertheless, asked them to do the impossible because when Jesus calls us to do the impossible, he's calling us to trust him to do what only he can do that we cannot do. When you are at the end of your resources, what Jesus wants you to see is that the end of your resource is the resource of God that everything doesn't depend upon how much you have to give people to eat. That ultimately God is at work in this world to do what you and I cannot do. And all Christian ministry, yes, it begins in the compassion of Jesus. You're moved by a need, you wanna meet that need. It, it, It begins with that call of Jesus, you give them something to eat, but it always has to be carried out in deep dependence upon God to do what only God can do, namely the impossible. So Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, one of the other gospels tells us that at this point, uh, uh, Andrew speaks up, one of Jesus' disciples, and says, okay, Jesus, um, there's a little boy in the audience, and he he, he overheard this conversation, and, and he heard the need, and he has offered us his lunchbox, And we have opened up his lunchbox and inside there are uh, two fish and there are five loaves. Jesus, here's what we got. We've got two fish and five loaves. Now, if you haven't been paying attention up to this point in the sermon, would you tune in just for a second? Listen, I love what Jesus does next because what Jesus does next, I mean, this is how big problems are solved. This is how macro, community-wide, city-wide, nationwide problems are solved is exactly what Jesus says next. He says, look, take the two fish, take the five loaves, take the lunchbox. 
take your limited resources. You know, this little, this little lunchbox, what you have, take, take that, and then he says this. He says, uh, bring them here to me. Jesus says, what do you have? What do you have? You got two fish and five loaves? Bring them here to me. What, what do you have? Jesus says, bring them here to me. And, and here is you, and here's me, and here's my 11-year-old daughter, Eve, and here is John and Sandy Southers with their backyard. And Jesus says, look, you got a heart for something? Bring that to me. You got a backyard? Uh, bring it to me. You know, you've got an extra bedroom in your house, bring it to me. You've got some extra resources in your bank account, bring them to me. Jesus says, what do you have? You've got some discretionary time. You've got, you've got space in your schedule to work with children or to work with students. Uh, you've, you've got space in your heart and in your life to open up and to bring a, a kid from the foster care system in. Jesus says, what do you have? Bring it here to me. Give me what you got. And uh, we, don't, we don't all have the same thing. I mean, so, some, some of you might have two fish, some have five loaves, some have two fish and five loaves. You know, we all got a little something different, but we all have something. And what Jesus says is take what you got and give it to me. Bring it here to me. So what do you have? And uh, so they, they, they give it to Jesus. And, and you, the disciples are thinking, this is, this is gonna be interesting. Every day with Jesus is interesting. And look at what it says next. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he took the limited resources that they have. He said, give them to me. And he took them and he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. You know, when it says he said a blessing, it's not that he was blessing the two fish and the five loaves. He was blessing God for this gracious provision. This is what the Jews did. They blessed God for the gifts that they had received. Uh, the Jews always blessed God after they ate their meal, their meal. They blessed God for the wine. They blessed God for the bread. They blessed, they blessed God for the, the food. And if you sit around a Jewish table, you'll hear it. Baruch, Atah, Adonai, Eloheinu. Uh, blessed be the Lord our God and then creator of the universe who gives us the fruit of the vine or gives us bread from the earth. Jesus looks at the two fish and the five loaves and he, and he blesses God for these gifts. And then he breaks them and he starts to, and he gives them back to the disciples and the disciples give them to the crowds. And they all ate and they were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And I want you just to pause for a second. And I just want to juxtapose two different images. Uh, the first is of this little boy. And I love this little boy. He's, you know, probably seven, eight years old with his limited resources. And I want to juxtapose this image with the massive crowds now. Thousands of people now that from the limited resources of this small and ordinary boy now are able to feed thousands of people. And the hinge between these two images, between the limited resources of the boy and the feeding of the multitudes with basketfuls of food left over is the gracious power 
of Jesus. And friends, this is the way the kingdom of God moves forward. It is here in this story. It is when ordinary people with limited resources, with all kinds of inadequacies, offer themselves and offer their gifts and offer their their time and their, their talents and their passions and their heart and their homes and their car and maybe their vacation time. They offer these to Jesus and they say, Jesus, this is what I got. But what I have, I give to you. Use them for the good of this world, for the sake of your great name, for the furtherance of your kingdom to see the good news move forward. Jesus, use what I have and multiply this gift and and feed and serve and bless the world. You know, this is where the mission of God with the church began. It was when Jesus actually called around himself that that small nucleus, the, the 12 fishermen mostly, and, and a, a tax gatherer, and you know, a, a former zealot, a, a religious extremist, and a religious fundamentalist who was engaged in, in, in military. Jesus called these former you know, people from very different walks of life, many of whom had nothing very impressive about their qualifications. He gathered themselves around him, and he said, go now into all the nations and make disciples of this world. Nobody, if you had a snapshot, if you were able to record that moment 2,000 years ago of Jesus talking to this weak, you know, somewhat scared and frightened group of young adults, 12 of them, nobody would have thought that when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all of the nations, nobody would have thought that it was going to happen. But these 12 followers of Jesus who consecrated their life to Jesus, who offered themselves to Jesus, Jesus ultimately was able to take them and multiply their efforts. And the gospel has been going out. And that's just not true of what happened 2,000 years ago. That's how the kingdom of God has been advancing over the last 2,000 years. It has not been primarily through the elite and through the well-moneyed and the well-positioned and the well-educated. This is not the stuff. It's not the fodder of what God needs in order to accomplish God's mission in the world. God's work is ultimately accomplished by God himself. And that's good news because when you're looking at the problems around you that you feel insufficient to meet, I mean, I'll just say as a parent, I I sometimes look at the reality of parenting and I think I'm insufficient, I'm inadequate for this work. Does anybody else feel that way? You know, and, and that's just parenting, that's where you have the most amount of resources and the most amount of time. You start looking outside yourself and the problems are, or, or you start thinking about people who are far from God and you need to hear the good news of Jesus and you think, oh, I'm inadequate. I can't convince them. I can't argue them in. You don't need to. There is a God in heaven who is at work in this world and he has been at work in this world for the last 2,000 years and it's why you're in this room. It's because God in his gracious power, not some human being, It's not because someone who is ultra-gifted and ultra-educated and well-moneyed and well-positioned got involved in your life and convinced you God stepped in to your life by his grace. 
And God brought freedom. And God brought hope. And, and God stepped in and, and made you experience his love. And this is what ultimately will change this world. You know, I think about our church, and we're, I, I feel like we, we, we are two fish and five loaves. We're just, you know, we're not some mega church. You know, we don't have hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and, and you know, but God can take our little resources as we offer ourselves to him, as we live with an open hand, we say, Jesus, I don't have everything, but what I have, I offer to you. Use it. Will you do that? Will this week, will you pray, Jesus, I don't have much, but what I have, I offer to you. Jesus, I, I, I have a home or an apartment. Jesus, I... I I have an opportunity to be on a university campus and go to school. Jesus, I, I've got some friends. Jesus, I, I've got a heart. I've got a passion. I've got some network. Jesus, I, I offer what I have to you. Would you use it to bring your healing, restorative, loving rule to bear on earth, even as it is in heaven? Will you offer your fish and your loaves to God? And will you trust that God can use what you have and multiply it, and do above and beyond with what you have, all than you can ask or think. This is how the kingdom of God has moved forward for the last 2,000 years. And friends, listen, this is how the kingdom of God was inaugurated in this world. You know, it's interesting in our text, and almost all the scholars who study this passage point this out, that when Jesus the language that's used here of when the fish and the loaves are given to Jesus, he blesses his father and then he breaks the bread and he distributes it to everyone. It's the same language that's used when Jesus is with his disciples on that night before he was crucified and he's sharing in the Last Supper and he blesses his father, he breaks the bread and he shares the bread with all of his disciples and he says, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. The primal, the very origin of God's kingdom mission in this world is Jesus' own weak, dying, broken body. What the world would deem as weakness, you know, it's not Caesar in Rome with all of his military power and might that's defeating the enemies in this world. It's not the Avengers gathering around, you know, Iron Man and all of the rest, you know, with all of their power and all of their, you know, being able to say, it is weakness and humility, the death of a common slave. And this is the weak act of God that is also at the same time God's power of salvation in this world. What is weak and small now that gets multiplied and it is this glad self-giving act of love, simple, sacrificial love that ultimately becomes the healing of all things. And it is when we walk in this way of Jesus and we say, Jesus, my life can be broken. And, and Jesus, I offer myself, I offer my resources to you. Jesus, I want to be used by you so that 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 your love can be known in this world, that Jesus can take that and multiply those efforts. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. And this is what God is doing in the world is he is taking
taking and breaking and distributing and multiplying and healing through the work of those who are surrendered to him. So what do you have in your hand? What do you have? Jesus says, bring it to me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you now and we open our lives before your steady presence. God, you see what we have and what we are. And we don't just have stuff and we don't just have passions and gifts. We also carry with us a truckload of insecurities and fears and anxieties. We have our own dysfunction and Jesus, we bring all of this to you and we lay it at your feet. And we pray, God, that in spite of our deficiencies and inadequacies, we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be pleased to use us to be agents and to be witnesses of your love in this world through what we say and through what we do and through who we are. We offer ourselves to you. And we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.